Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack. And Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. We are having a very fun and um, not particularly timely topic, but I'm going to make it timely in a funny way, uh, where we are going to be talking about the top 10 superhero movies ever made. It's a dying genre. It's possibly a dead genre, as evidenced by the superhero movie coming out this week, is the one everyone's been waiting for. Madam Webb, starring Dakota Johnson, who needs to find a new agent, because um, we love her, but her role choices somewhat suspect. I didn't even I didn't even realize that movie was already coming out. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. This, I mean, you know, because you say Jonathan, we're going to be talking about the top ten superhero movies. To be more accurate, we talked about the top ten superhero movies um, on our special ten year anniversary podcast. Yes, this is the same as what I did a couple weeks back with our Persona 3, The Weird Masquerade episode, just for fun while we are working on some other stuff, namely Japanimation Station. Thought you guys would enjoy still having something in the feed, and if you did not listen to all 10 hours of our 10th anniversary episode a few years back, I thought we could split some of these out and make them their own episodes. I've also gone in and remastered the audio and made it all sound nicer and re-edited parts of it, so it's all good to go there. Uh, but yes, this is here's the thing, Sean. I had a moment of hesitation when I was looking at some of our content and I saw the top 10 superheroes thing and I'm like, would that still work as a standalone episode? Because that was a couple of years ago. And then I went, absolutely nothing has come out that would challenge these oh, yeah. rankings other than possibly, I think you and I might both put Sheen Ultraman in here. Um, sure. Arguably. If can, yeah. If, if, yeah you, if you consider that a superhero movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's an but it's an edge case, right? Because it's a it's it has its own genre it belongs to as well. And then there's Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, which is great. Although I think you and I are both kind of in agreement that that one is kind of pending part two of that movie yes. to like know where it would ultimately rank in the pantheon. And we had Into the Spider Verse to talk about already. Uh, and because this genre is effectively dead creatively at this point, um, at least in America, at least in live action Hollywood stuff. I think this this is going to stand the test of time. I don't think we're going to need to revise this top ten for a while, Sean. Yeah, I I agree. I think it, it's probably pretty good uh, for the foreseeable future. You know, I mean, I haven't seen the Flash movie. You know, maybe everybody's wrong about that one, and it's like the greatest superhero movie of all time, and it's the Citizen Kane of superhero films. It's um, not. That... It looks like shit. Citizen Kane is one of the best looking movies ever made. I can say definitively, the Flash is not that because it looks like garbage. I don't know. I think you can take, you know, the iconic uh, climax of Citizen Kane where it shows Rosebud and then zooms out, you know, and you have like the whole giant or sorry, it goes over the whole giant warehouse and then comes into Rosebud. The sled is burning. I think that in the Nicolas Cage cameo, probably about on the same level of iconic and quality in terms of film scenes. I thought you were going to say the part where Flash saves a baby with a microwave. Oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, you guys, uh, let's let's go ahead. Let's talk about the top ten superhero movies ever and say farewell to the it genre of the twenty first century that is no longer the it genre. I might still go see Madam Web because it looks funny as shit to me, and I'm bored. Uh, and I don't know. Once in a while, I need to take in a terrible movie. So maybe there will be a review on JonathanLack.com. Maybe that you should go subscribe. I am not going to see Madam Web. Nobody can make me see that movie. Sean, what's that up in the sky? It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's a top ten list. 
That's the Indian. That's the Indian Jones theme. That's okay. Anyway, for part four of this anniversary special, we're combining two things we're known for here at the Weekly Stuff Podcast. Top ten lists, and as you just sort of saw, superhero movies. Because we are going to be counting down our top ten favorite superhero films updated for 2022. Of course, our first ever time doing a top 10 list on this incarnation of the podcast was the first podcast ever, June 13th, 2012, when we did the earlier, shittier version of our 10 favorite films list. And our first discussion of superhero movies was in episode three, when we did our first shittier retrospective of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies in anticipation of, Sean, get ready to feel fucking old, Andrew Garfield's first Spider-Man movie which was about Ugh. to come out. It was new then. It wasn't nostalgia yet for whoever that's nostalgia for. When I was first introduced to the horror that is the blue fingertips on that Spider-Man suit, I remember it well. Yes, that's a, that is literally as old a joke as this podcast. Yes. <laughs> but Sean, I've organized this topic fourth in today's lineup because the last time we did this exact blend of topics, a superhero movie top 10 list, that was on episode number 84 on May 2nd, 2014, and it's it's been a while. Sean, have there been any new superhero movies since then? What was the year that came out again, Jonathan? 2014. I think I think we've gotten a couple. Just a couple? Um, I think they made an X-Man. Um uh, they made that Deadpool. They made it they made do you remember yeah. Ryan Reynolds did like the thing where he had like the test footage or whatever? They made a movie out of that. Yes. Um Yes. I think I think those were the two. There was an X-Man and a Deadpool. I think that was it. Well, you know, not a lot of new stuff, but we can still re-rank. No, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of superhero movies. It was crazy, I think, when I was looking at all of this, that we had never done another version of this. And I think part of that is just because there's constantly new ones coming out. Yeah, like, when do you do it? <laughs> like, it's just like every year there's like two or three superhero movies, like, bare minimum. Like, it's... How do you how do you know when is the time to make the top ten list? There's two or three Marvel movies bare minimum. Yes. There's way more superhero movies. So for the top ten for the tenth anniversary, we thought this was the perfect time to revisit this topic and redo our top ten favorite superhero movies. Uh, because we only have an hour to do this, because we're trying to stick to an hour per topic here, we're going to do this a little different than our other top ten lists, and we're going to reveal our top ten lists at the beginning of today's show so that we can then discuss them together, give our reasonings, talk about different movies, see how our lists combine. I've not seen your list yet. You've not seen mine. Um, but we're going to share them here at the top of the show. Uh, Sean, do you want to give any notes to the people listening of what like were your criteria for your list? Yeah, I mean, the main criteria was um, only one movie per franchise. That means, like, movie franchise, not character franchise. So, like, you know, you, I could reuse multiple superhero characters as long as it was not the same series of movies. So, for example, to use an example of two movies that are certainly not on my list, if I really, really liked the original Fantastic Four movie with, like, Chris Evans as the Human Torch, and I also really liked the Josh Trank Fantastic movie, both those could feature on my list. But I couldn't do both <laughs> Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four 2 Rise of the Silver Surfer. I'd have to pick one, two of those gems to uh, appear on my list. So that was kind of my reasoning is I can reuse characters, but I didn't want to reuse a bunch of the same movies from the exact same franchise over and over again. And I will say that I, that goes for the MCU. I counted the MCU as just one big franchise. Um, so I just kind of picked my favorite MCU movie. It, honestly, it's kind of a tie. It's sort of like the MCU spot with sort of two movies. Um, but 
yeah, that was like my main reasoning. And the other big thing I did with my list is I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being closed minded with my list. So I've been rewatching a couple of movies over the past few weeks leading up to this topic, um, trying to expand my horizons of not limiting it to like what are like the big Marvel and DC movies that we think of as being superhero movies and what are like other movies um, two of which I think are, are movies that people don't normally think of as superhero movies that are undeniably superhero movies. And one movie that people might disagree with me that is a superhero movie, but I think is very clearly a superhero movie. So um, that, that was part of my reasoning with my list was like not to be too close minded and wanting to really think about the scope of what is a superhero movie and what can qualify for this list. Well, now I feel like I kind of want to reorient my list a little bit because I followed most of that. I wound up putting two MCUs on my list. But you know what? I'm going to rewrite my list a little bit right now. You can have two MCUs. I got very close to just making two MCU spots, and I didn't. If you want to have two MCU, I think there's no problem. in the spirit of you trying to broaden your horizons on this, there was a movie I was totally considering for this list, and I wound up thinking it was a little too outside of the box. So now I have just adjusted my list. It now completely fits your same criteria, and I've added one that I was totally considering... Uh, and I've shifted up a little bit and can debate if it's a superhero movie. And if we decide it's not a superhero movie, then we can throw on the choice I just threw off. I've, I, I, because on my screen, I can see the bottom of your list uh, where I've scrolled. I've seen what you added and I can say it is a superhero movie. Okay. Uh, Sean, why don't we go ahead and do it then? And uh, you kick us off with your number 10 and we'll just back and forth a little bit. All right. So top 10 superhero movies. My number 10 is The Mask of Zorro from 1997. That's a cool choice. Okay, we'll talk about that. My number 10 is Dread, the one with Carl Urban, not Judge Dread with Sylvester Stallone, the one with Carl Urban. My number nine is The Batman, the, the, the new Batman movie. My number nine is Batman Returns, no definite article, but a lot of penguin sex puns. Eventually we'll get The Batman Returns once they, they figure out how to title the sequel to The Batman. My number eight, probably the most contentious one on this list, but I have served as a superhero movie, is Gamera. Guardian of the Universe. <laughs> I'm fine with it. My number eight is Black Panther, and that is my MCU slot. We can just say that's where the MCU is, but Black Panther is my favorite MCU. All right. My number seven is Thor Ragnarok, which is my MCU, which it's really a tie between Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther, because I was like, yes. I can't choose between these two movies. And I just happen to type Thor. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok is the one I kicked off because I do slightly prefer Black Panther, but if you're ranking MCU movies, those are one and two. Easy. In some order. Uh, So that was your number seven. Seven. My number seven is The Batman, which was your number nine. My number six is Logan. My number six is Logan. We never plan this. It always happens. (laughs) We always get at least one. Um, All right, so my number five is Superman, the movie. My number five is Zack Snyder's Justice League, the recut four-hour version. My number four is RoboCop. Wow. My number four is Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. My number three is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My number three is Superman, the movie. My number two is Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. My number two is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Do you want to say our number one together, Jonathan? Yeah. Our number one is Spider-Man 2. The one and only. It's like I, it, it, this is the easiest number one. It's just like yes. it has changed. I well then let's start there, Sean, because yeah. that's the obvious one. We have an episode on it, uh, and I have episode numbers for a lot of these. Um, Spider Man Two has always been our number one here. I did consider whether or not I would put Spider Verse as number one. I did think about has that supplanted it for me. 
it is like it's been four years i have some perspective on spider-verse obviously it's one of the best i think depending on the day of the week i might put it at number one but spider-man 2 has been around too long it is too important a part of both of our lives it is so it is for me the like holy text against which i grade other superhero films and that is still the case and so it is still my number one but spider versus number two very easy call those are easily my two favorites yeah, I'll say that my yeah my like top three in particular, which is Spider Verse, Batman, Master of the Phantasm, and Spider Man Two, are very tight. But like Spider Man Two is clear to me as, as to be the best thing for the same reasons of obviously there's a certain nostalgic component of it for both of us. We watched the movie as kids; it's like a big thing. Um, but then yeah, I think the way you said it is right that it's like it is the holy text. It is like the the you know the tablet upon which all other movies are com- superior movies are compared. Um, and Spider-Man 2 has just been that for so long that it's like that's still true of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, and it's not that like Spider-Verse compares particularly unfavorably to Spider-Man 2. It's just like it's maybe too soon for Spider-Verse to be able to take the crown. Maybe in the future it will feel like that will be the thing um, that maybe eventually Spider-Verse could be that movie. Um, but I think uh, it's not there yet. Yeah. I mean, our top four. Aren't they just the same movies in different orders? Or was wait, no. what was? Uh, no, because my, my I have Robocop oh, one okay. spot above Superman the movie. But if I okay. swap that, then yeah. yes, then our top four would be the same. So our top fives are the same, other than you have Robocop, I have Justice League, um, yes. the good version of Justice League, <laughs> and and then yeah, you have Robocop. So, but otherwise, I mean, let's just talk about these because I think these are pretty obvious. Spider Man Two. If you want to hear us talk more about it, that is episode two fifty three. Is when we did our big in depth retrospective. That's from 2018 uh and i'm really proud of that episode i think it's a good one um and i would direct you to it spider-verse obviously we love we've talked about it many times we reviewed it when it was in theaters on episode 268 also from 2018 and you know spider-verse i think is nothing less than like the most aesthetically bold blockbuster of our lifetimes Mm -hmm. uh in addition to being a great story it is one of the coolest comic book movies ever we fucking love it that's also if people have a 4K Blu-ray player. That is a hell of a 4K Blu-ray because I rewatched that movie yes. in anticipation of this list for the exact reason of being like the gut check. Can I put this above Spider-Man 2? And it didn't quite pass that full gut check, but it was like, but this is clearly near the top of my list. Uh, yes. And that 4K Blu-ray is so good. It's so good. And that is one that is like, that is an HDR showcase because yeah. resolution-wise, that film was finished in 2K. So you don't necessarily get a ton over the Blu-ray with that. Like the resolution, it is still a boost. But it is, you realize if you pop in the the regular Blu-ray, you realize that movie is so aesthetically like bold and out there and big that normal standard definition or standard dynamic range cannot capture the colors of that movie accurately. You have to have HDR and the movie just looks wrong in the standard dynamic range to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the experience I had of just like, you can't, once you've watched that version, you kind of can't go back to a standard color uh, uh, palette version. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. But we love that movie. We clearly both love Batman Mask of the Phantasm. We just revisited this one earlier this year, Sean, on episode 361 from January. Uh, and I think, I, I know for me at least, I'm always stunned at how good this is. When I, Like, I know intellectually this is the best Batman movie. And every time I go back, I'm like, man, this is really the best Batman movie. 
Yeah, I think one of the things I really appreciated even more about the movie on that watch was, you know, of like comparing it directly to like the kind of film noir classics that it is pulling from for like narratively and aesthetically and thematically and seeing how like favorably it compares in that world. Yeah. Um, I think I had never like really gone through the movie like so thoroughly from that lens like we did for that review. Um, And that's, yeah, it's like every time I've watched Max the Phantasm, I've liked it more. And I've watched that movie like eight times or something at this point. So yeah, I like it a lot. I like it. It's 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 a beautiful movie, amazing score by Shirley Walker. And as you say, like it compare it doesn't just compare favorably, it just is a film noir. It isn't yeah. an homage, it isn't a throwback, it isn't a pastiche, it just is narratively, structurally, stylistically a film noir made in the nineties, made in animation, made in color, but it is a film noir. Uh and that makes it the best Batman movie. Yes, very, very handily, as evidenced by our lists. You know, yes. we it's because we both have because I have two Batman movies and you've got three Batman movies on your list. Um, and Justice League, which has Batman in it, so I like sure, Batman. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then Superman yeah. the movie, which I realize, Sean, of all the major movies we're talking about here that are like obvious superhero movies, is the only one we've never done an episode on. We need to get on that. Yeah. Um, if you don't have the 4K Blu-ray of that, Sean, buy it. It's a great disc. That movie has never looked great on home video. That Blu-ray is phenomenal, the 4K one. Um, and at some point later this year, we need to do an episode on this because this is another one that I did toy with the idea of maybe putting it at number one because I do think, like, this movie is messier <laughs> than, than any yeah. of the others in my top five, really. Um, but I think... You know, I revisited it recently with that 4K Blu-ray, and there is just something about that movie that is so refreshing to go back to because Richard Donner did not treat that as like an assignment for hire. It wasn't treated as like an interchangeable Hollywood tentpole. It was a fucking movie event, and everyone was on the same page with that. And there's an ambition and scope and vision to it that is just stunning especially with fucking john williams in there and then of course you add in christopher reeves uh just you know the best performance in any superhero movie this just is christopher reeve as superman and yeah. you know whatever imperfections that movie has particularly near the end it is still one of the best one of the holy texts it is you know without it none of these others would exist it's incredible yeah, I'll say that with Superman was a little bit hard for me to rank because I just haven't seen it in a while. I mean, I don't have that 4K Blu-ray, so I'll need to pick that one up. And I just, I wanted to rewatch it in preparation for this list, but there was a couple of other things I wanted to watch um, that that ended up being higher priority, partially because it was easier for me to just get access to them. Um, that, yeah, so there's a chance that Superman the movie could have crept higher if I had rewatched it. Um, but I, it's a, it's that thing of the, as you say, it's a, it's a messier movie than the other movies in, in the top four, all of which like for me, Spider-Man 2, Batman, Mass of the Phantasm, Spider-Verse and Robocop are kind of perfect movies. Like they're so solid, um, that Superman has some cracks in some of its like pacing and the plot structure and stuff. Um, but what it does well is so huge, especially like it feels more like kind of miraculous the further you get away from it partially because like dc i think has struggled so much with um getting good people on superman for like anything that's not some of the comic book stories uh so like having this like great superman movie it feels like 
I really wish that we could have another great Superman movie that like handled Superman th- that way on um, the way that that movie does on, um, you know, um, Chris Reeve is going to always be, I think like one of those actors, one of those performances that all other superhero performances are always going to be measured against because I think Superman is a very hard character to play. And Christopher Reeves makes it look perf- like totally effortless in that movie. You know, you don't think about how much he has to put into playing the different sides of Superman and Clark Kent and all of that and convincing you of the whole reality of that character and his alter ego and how he manages it. And Chris Reeve just does it. And it's perfect. Um, it's like one of the most incredible performances you'll see in a movie. Every couple of months, there is a tweet that like makes the rounds again, or Uh someone retweets this, this video. And it is the moment in Superman, the movie when, um, Clark is at Lois's apartment and he wants to come clean to her that he is Superman and she walks out of the room and he pulls off the glasses and just rises and is Superman. But then he decides not to and puts it back on and kind of shrinks. And everyone always is just like re-amazed by it. But it, it always underlines the point that the best special effect in that movie, and I think it still holds true for any good superhero movie, is that is the actor, is the person who can fulfill the role. And it is Christopher Reeve makes you believe that no one would think Clark and Superman are the same guy. But he makes you believe that they are. And it's incredible. Yeah, because it's like, you know, the, the famous tagline of that movie is you'll believe a man can fly. And it's like, it, you know, there's obviously some good special effects work that goes into that movie, like, you know, particularly good for its time. Um, but like the most important thing in convincing you of that is the man part of it, right? It's Chris Reeve. It's like the person doing it. Um, and like, even if you had much worse special effects, um, you still would believe it because he makes you believe it. Also, the best music ever written for anything superhero related mm-hmm. in movies. <laughs> it's just that score is a fucking thing. It's amazing. John Williams, obviously, we love him. Yes. So that's our commonality in the top five. Do you want to go yes. down or do you want to hit the uh, the one point, point we're different in the top five? Well, let's do that. Let's start with that then. While we're in the in the top five, those four are very easy points of agreement with us. We went in wholly different directions with Zack Snyder's Justice League versus RoboCop. And here's the thing. Have you actually ever watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League yet? No, I'm still okay. waiting. Eventually, it feels like we'll do a podcast on it. So yes. I feel, I'm just like waiting for that. Um, and I, here I have to confess something. I've never seen RoboCop. Yep. I'm sorry. It's not four hours long. It's an easier movie to watch. Yes. No, almost certainly. But tell me, Sean, why I should see RoboCop and why it has a place in your superhero movie top ten. Yeah. So RoboCop, one of the things that makes RoboCop hard to rank is that because it's not a traditional superhero movie, I think it is clearly a superhero movie. It's a satire of, like, superhero movies in general. And honestly, the satire has gotten sharper over time as a lot of modern superhero movies have leaned more into the kind of copaganda aspect that the franchise, like that genre can end up having a lot. Um, And so RoboCop, you know, um, you know, Verhoeven movie from the 80s, it's all about a satire of, of like the privatization and like the corporate interest in police in America um, and the the militarization of the police, the way that the police are used to um, like reinforce the status quo, to reinforce like the ruling class, the way that money is involved in all of that. 
Um, and so Robocop himself is a cop named Murphy who is killed in the line of duty, who is turned into Robocop, who is a tool for the state, until eventually he reclaims his identity, casts off his guise as Robocop, reclaims his identity as Murphy, and, and destroys the corporation that made him. That's also the corporation that owns the police. And that's like the broad plot of the movie. And that's like one of the things that I love so much about it is that as time goes on and we get like other like, you know, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, some of the way that like Spider-Man, like Spider-Man in the modern uh, Marvel Spider-Man game, which I like a lot, but has a lot of rough stuff with how it treats like the police. All of the MCU stuff that feels like uncomfortably tied to things like the U.S. military and law enforcement, um, Robocop like is such a, I think, clarifying text in relationship to that tendency of the genre to move in that direction even if robocop i think is a movie is not self-consciously trying to be a particularly superhero movie it is a superhero um and robocop himself has been turned into like a superhero comic type character in different comic series over the years uh one of the great things about the movie is the effects work is phenomenal it's that kind of 80s era movie something like john carver's the thing or like cronenberg's the fly where it's just like practical effects at their absolute peak you've got some really phenomenal stop motion work that's done over the course of the movie incredible prosthetic stuff there is a scene early on where murphy is killed by the villains and he is basically executed gang style um and shot to pieces his like arm is shot off with a shotgun it's like a incredibly violent sequence and it's all done with incredible prosthetics and all the makeup on robocop and his costume is also just absolute top-notch um, stuff. One of the other great things about Robocop is that it is one of the most tightly plotted movies I've ever seen. There's like a really interesting essay I saw online of someone breaking down Robocop and like demonstrating that the movie has like a near perfectly symmetrical structure and that every scene has a symmetrical opposite. You know, so like the first scene in the movie as a like mirrors the last scene in the movie like usually in terms of like theme although sometimes there is more of like a little like the structure of the visual sequences and stuff mirror themselves in ways that are interesting where i don't know if verhoeven ever commented on if that was entirely intentional or if it was just like the nature of how tight the plotting is means it has by sort of virtue of that a very symmetrical structure but the plot is so tightly written and the character arc is so tightly traced for Murphy as he goes throughout the movie that it lends itself this kind of beautiful, perfect structure. Um, and it is definitely a movie that if you want to study plot structure, I think Robocop is like one of the best plotted movies I have ever seen. Um, and then the other thing I really need to shout out about uh, Robocop is Kurtwood Smith, who plays the villain, Bodeker, or one of the villains. He's kind of like the gang guy who is a t tool used by the corporate villain of the movie. But uh, Kurtwood Smith, people would probably know better as the dad character from that 70s show. Um, and he's not an actor you would expect looking at him to be incredibly intimidating. He's like a middle-aged balding guy with glasses, and that's what he looks like uh, as Bodeker in Robocop. But he is fucking terrifying and he's such a great villain he so owns the screen every time he's on and it's just one of my favorite i think like kind of underrated movie villain performances is kurtwood smith in robocop um as this kind of like low-key cocaine mad fucking like gang dude that kind of looks like someone's middle manager um it's it's some hardcore shit uh so all across like if you want some like top tier 80s style verhoeven um action robocop is like, just, like, one of my favorite movies, full stop. If Robocop was easier to sort of definitively categorize as a superhero movie, it might have even ranked, like, moved up the list. Like, I think Robocop is amongst the best movies I've seen. But because it's, like, 
not very definitively like, oh, it's Spider-Man, Superman, Batman. It's a little bit hard to rank in a superhero ranking. I think it made me sort of like want to slot it a little bit around here at four, which feels very appropriate. Yes. I, I love that, Sean. I think that's really cool. I, this is a movie that just inexplicably I've just never seen for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I want to. I did just look it up. Arrow just put out a big 4K box yeah. set of this movie. So I will have to pick that up at some point. That looks cool. So let me talk about my pick, which is easier to defend as a superhero movie. It's yes. Justice League. Um, but I might have to explain. So I have lots of complicated thoughts about Zack Snyder and his filmography. You know, 300 is a well-made movie that is also Nazi propaganda. <laughs> like, I, probably unknowingly so. That's the Frank Miller of it. But, like, it yeah. is a fucked up thing in that sense. His Watchmen is alternately sometimes very inspired and sometimes misses the mark so thuddingly you can't believe, right? Um, and, of course, then his stuff with Superman and Batman, I have a lot of mixed feelings about. But I do think his Justice League, which, and I want to be clear... I am specifically talking, obviously, about the Snyder Cut that came out on HBO Max that is effectively a completely different movie than the one that came out in theaters directed by Joss Whedon. Um, For one, it's double the length. Most of the footage in it you did not see in theaters. It's a very differently arced sort of thing. It has a completely different score and color grade and aspect ratio even and everything. Um, And I had probably never been as surprised to like something as I was when I sat down to watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I even started it pretty late at night because I was not expecting to watch the whole thing. I devoured it. I wrote a review that night about it. I was genuinely not just amazed by this movie, but like very deeply touched by it. I think it is a movie that actually has a very big and surprisingly big heart in that it is, and I think what, you know, you'll notice I don't have an Avengers movie on this list. I do have this, and I do think this is a better movie than the Avengers films. The Avengers films are more fun, but I think what Justice League does is it is actually a story about a group of people who have gnawing voids inside of them coming together and filling them in some way, and I think there's something very beautiful about what it shows. It is also a beautiful movie in style. It is absolutely the best use of Snyder's, like, very clear visual talents that have always been there, but I think often been misdirected. I am definitely a fan of, I know people think it's kind of goofy and, and stuck up and all of that, uh, pretentious to do the four by three aspect ratio, but that's the best aspect ratio. There's a reason why movies like that's why that's the shape of a film cell. Uh, and I think it is beautifully, beautifully shot. Um, I think it is, you know, it is definitely operating at the level of myth of epic poem, of just, you know, of giants walking among men. And I think the thing about it being four hours long is not necessarily because it has a super complicated plot, but because it is slow. It is a slow superhero movie. And there's something about that I really love and was struck by in definitely the sort of marvelfication of superhero cinema in the 2010s. We've definitely come to a point where movies like this just move, move, move. Scenes happen fast, dialogue happens fast, and we move on. And this Justice League movie is about marinating in moments and in images and just 
you know, the the scene, and some people have made fun of it, and I totally get it, but I think it's kind of beautiful. There's a scene early in the movie, there's a version of it in the Joss Whedon cut where Batman goes to visit Aquaman and tries to get him to join the team, and Aquaman says no and then goes into the sea. In the Snyder version of that scene, one, there isn't a bad Joss Whedon quip, and then also when Aquaman is going back into the sea, a group of old women from this village come and gather around and do a big, like, mournful chant while Aquaman descends into the ocean. And it is just a long scene of that happening. In a later scene in the movie, Aquaman um, is is diving back into the ocean and there's a big wave and he like smashes a beer bottle on it and it's just a very long slow-mo shot. And there's just moments like that that just want to marinate in an image and an emotion in an idea that I desperately wish there was more of in this genre because I think what Snyder's Justice League does is I think it kind of fulfills a promise made by... Richard Donner's Superman, that the genre has never really embraced again, which is the idea of the sheer like scale of these things, of these beings, of these ideas, of the epic stature of it, that I don't think anyone's ever tried and succeeded to do again. You know, Spider-Man 2 is my favorite movie. Part of why Spider-Man 2 is so good is it embraces the kind of small scale of Spider-Man. Spider-Man is not a character you could paint in sort of a Greek mythological light. But the Justice League, the DC characters, there is something to that. And I think it does it really stunningly well. Um, I think it has some of the best action in any superhero movie. The sheer scale at which things are happening in the final act of this thing is insane. I think it uses all of the characters and their different powers really beautifully well. Cyborg is the big star of the Snyder Cut. If you'd only seen the Whedon one, you'd be like, wait, was Cyborg in that movie? Uh, No, he is. He's great. He's very important. His whole relationship with his dad is really beautifully handled. Um, I really like Ezra Miller. Problematic person. I do like his version of The Flash in this movie a lot. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I think her best stuff as Wonder Woman is in this movie, including the scene that introduces her. There's a moment where they do, they use slow motion and speed ramping to basically show the idea of how fast Wonder Woman can move to basically stop a series of bullets that is the most gasp, like catch my breath in my throat. Oh, I'm watching a superhero being doing something here. It's a really incredible moment of of like actualizing some of the ideas of the genre. And the movie is just full of that. Um, you know, I, I do love the just the sheer register of myth making and epic stature that it operates on. And I think there really is nothing else remotely like it in this genre that has been realized on screen. And I think that alone makes it special. But again, I do think there's something very sort of beautiful and and heart-wrenching in the middle of it. Um, I do just to fully defend and talk about this, I do want to read one quick quote from um, a film critic I love named Walter Chow, Chow, um, who writes for an outlet called Film Freak Central. And this was his um, review of Justice League. I would highly recommend, you know, Google Walter Chow and, and Justice League. It's a beautiful review. But I just want to read the first paragraph because I think it sums up a lot of my complicated feelings on this and how surprised I was to come to love this movie. So I'm just going to read this and then we can move on. It opens with sound waves visualized as ripples in the air, Superman's death cry touching every part of a blasted world as the protection and decency he represents is murdered. I have historically hated Zack Snyder's vision of this universe because it felt grimdark in a weightless way, the posturing of an emo teenager who hasn't earned his weariness and cynicism. It felt like a put-on, immature. Immature. 
When the worst parts of comic fandom coalesce to demand a director's cut of a genuinely abominable film, Justice League, I, partly out of self-protection from a hateful horde and partly out of a sense of moral superiority, looked upon the project as first impossible, then misguided. I thought myself better than all this, which is unforgivable. I guess I wanted to believe that in a world in which I have figured nothing out, I had at least figured out that anything championed by trolls and incels could have no possible value to someone like me, who, of course, has nothing in common with these troglodytes except, you know, for the loneliness and the self-loathing and the suspicion of corporate think. Maybe it's just fear that makes me as hateful as they are. And maybe it's just fear that makes them as hateful as they are, too. I think that's what's most surprising to me about Zack Snyder's Justice League is how skillful it is as a diagnosis of the horrific, unfillable void that drives the very population most responsible for its existence. If the messages of the film are internalized, it may even help. And it's a really beautiful way of saying it. I love this movie. I love that you get black suit Superman when he's revived. I don't love the ending where they do this weird, like, tack-on thing with the Justice League sequel that never happened and Jared Leto's Joker is there. It would be fine if it were an after-credits scene. It inexplicably isn't. But there's a shot near the end of the movie where Superman runs out and pulls his, like, uh, uh, coat open to reveal the S logo beneath. And if you stop the movie there, that's the actual ending of the movie. And it's kind of perfect. Uh, and then there's 20 minutes of random stuff at the end. Other than that, I love this movie. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to watching it whenever we get around to because uh, I feel like that was like part of the idea with the Batman podcast was to eventually yes. bring that around to to Zack Snyder's Justice League. Indeed, our number six was the same. It was Logan. Do you want to explain that one, Sean? It's a good movie. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a it's a fucking great movie. It is yeah. so unique and weird i still kind of can't believe they got away with it this was we talked about this movie in depth on episode 179 back in 2017 but this is a hard r violent brutal sad movie about wolverine in basically the end of days transporting this little girl across the country and ending with his violent death and it is somehow one of the most beautiful and hopeful visions of the superhero world I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it just is that thing where it feels like Wolverine was this character that they got Hugh Jackman, who is just a perfect actor to play him. Like Hugh Jackman just always was really great in that part. But Wolverine was is a hard character to do in superhero movies if you're like hedging it to be like PG-13 and it's like kind of like it's kind of for kids but we also don't really want to make it for kids and the sort of like weird identity crisis i think those old x-men movies really had um and and wolverine was like this one thing that was really well done but caged in this box that didn't make sense for the character on screen and it just felt like there was no way that a studio would ever manage to make it like a proper wolverine movie um, and then you got, I mean, I haven't watched this movie, but obviously there's the infamous X-Men Origins Wolverine movie that is... I've watched uh, it. It's bad. <laughs> yes. And so that seemed to further convince people that there's no way they're ever going to make a good Wolverine movie if this is the fucking thing they did. And then James Mangold makes The Wolverine, which is a good movie with, like, a rough third act, um, but, like, is a really good proof of concept and, like, exploration of, okay, we're actually, like, finding it. We're actually, like, properly feeling, like adapting what feels like a comic kind of appropriate version of Wolverine onto the screen. Effectively, there's just like, you know, the way they do Silver Samurai and all that stuff is rough. But most of that movie is really good. And then James Mangold and and Hugh Jackman come together and they make this movie Logan. And this is where it's like, finally, yes, they really cracked it. The entire like 
vibe of Wolverine, I think, is, like, so powerful throughout this movie. It's got that sort of great kind of, like, what in the DC brand you'd call an Elseworlds story, or this kind of like a what-if story. But this story, and it's, like, a very extreme setting relative to most superhero stuff that's just in a contemporary setting, and some people have superpowers. This is the sort of, like, near-future like, it's not actually, like, post-apocalyptic, but it feels post-apocalyptic because Logan is at the end of his life, you know, and he's this person who's supposed to be immortal. Um, and so it's about, like, the end of these things. And bringing him on this journey to that character's actual finality and being able to explore all the edges of that character and, like, kind of the violence that he has lived through through his life and being able to do that in, like, an actual, like, movie that feels like it's made for and marketed towards adults... Um, which is really the character that Wolverine more has been through most of his lifetime and what like the great Wolverine stories and comic books have always been geared towards and finding this sort of pseudo neo Western kind of tonality to the movie and matching that with Wolverine. It's just an absolute match made in heaven um, that like you, Jonathan, it's like a movie that's kind of hard to believe it really exists, Um, especially when it came out where like it was just felt like we're like in the you know, 2017, we're in the midst of, like, the MCU factory being just, like, in full, like, we're just in it. Um, and it kind of felt like, oh, were we ever going to get something that's out of this? Because that's also when, like, you know, Warner Brothers is so floundering with what it's trying to do with its properties. And then Logan comes out and is like, hey, we can do this shit. You know, you get a really good character. You get a good director. You give them, like, they have a vision and you give them the room and space to execute on that vision. And you're going to get a really great movie out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And... It's it's also it's a sad movie for me in some ways because well because everyone dies um, but I mean like as a art object because um, we're never ever ever going to see anything like this again with this set of characters and I can yeah. say that very definitively because this was made when the X Men were owned by Fox they still are but Fox is owned by Disney uh-huh. so there will never be another movie like Logan there will never be another version of Wolverine like this on screen they're they're never going to go for it like this because. If they do X-Men, it's going to be in the MCU style. And you're just not going to be able to do anything remotely like this again. Um, You know, Logan is this just... It it very much... I have kind of a block here of 765 for me are the Batman, Logan, and Snyder's Justice League. that are basically the auteurist superhero movies. And uh, the Batman a little less so, but I think the Batman has a lot of similarities with Logan. And just like finding a way to let the character be the character sort of damn the commercial interests of it and like mm-hmm. that will come if you make a good movie which happened the batman was a big hit and logan was a really it was the highest grossing of the wolverine movies um and did very well especially for an r-rated movie and i just think it is such a rare breed you know i don't think we're going to get anything like justice league again in from the dc side although dc is making a lot of really interesting stuff now we're definitely not going to get anything like Logan again. And, you know, hopefully the Batman teaches WB some lessons. But, like, yeah, I, I think Logan feels kind of like water in the desert in some ways. Yeah, or like a movie that came out of, like, a parallel universe. Where, like, yes. this is what an X-Men movie could be, you know? And yeah. it's like Because it's just, like, the X-Men movie film, like, that film franchise is so troubled. It's, like, such a weird franchise of movies when you look back on it. Um, I was reminded relatively recently that that X-Men Apocalypse wasn't the last one, that they made the Jean Grey Phoenix one after that. I, I saw like, it. It's the worst one. It's yeah, terrible. It's like I just saw someone reference that. I was like, oh my God, that's right. They made a, they made a movie after X-Men Apocalypse somehow. Um, it's, it's like, Logan just feels like it's this like miraculous movie that came out of like this just bizarre franchise. 
um, that is unlike any of those other movies other than the first like half of The Wolverine. Um, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, and also special shout out to Patrick Stewart. Fucking amazing yes. in that one. As, as an old dying Professor X who also dies brutally. Everything dies. It's a, it's a world where everything dies. The only way you could make Logan better is if when the little girl turns the X on its head at the end, or turns the cross into an X, if you went da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
they are, if you put them in order, it went Thor Ragnarok and then Black Panther, and those are the two best ones they've ever made. That's amazing to me. What a moment. Yeah. Because, again, I'll say that for me, like, I feel like this slot is tied between Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther. I Like, it's hard for me to, like, pick one of those movies above the other. Um, yeah. yeah. I think Thor Ragnarok is the more fun movie because yeah. it's just one of the most fun movies ever made. It's, you know, they got Thor so right, but in that movie they also get Hulk right. And they do all this other sort of fun stuff with it. They, they have so much fun with Loki. You've got the Doctor Strange cameo. You've got uh, Valkyrie, and that character is just phenomenal. And you've got the Grandmaster played by Jeff Goldblum and his orgies. It's so good. Yeah, you've got but, Hela, who's one of the most fun villains in all of uh, the MCU, you know? Like, yes. Like, just, like, top to bottom. Everybody Carl like, Urban's in it! Yes. Like, everyone brings their A-game to that movie, and just, yeah. it's got such an incredible vitality and energy to it it's so much fun um and like and everything about it reflects that and it's to me like Thor Ragnarok is probably like the ideal version of the MCU style because it's very much in the kind of like light on its feet very quippy kind of thing team-ups and all that and like kind of cameos it's doing that it's not trying to sort of like work against the MCU house style it like kind of leans into it and just executes it at this incredibly high level I think that's kind of like might be where my gut with Thor Ragnarok over Black Panthers it's just like I really do like the MCU movies in general quite a bit. Um, and Thor Ragnarok is like kind of like the ideal one of those movies um, with all the virtues of what those movies have without a lot of the kind of f- f- drawbacks of that style that other movies have. I think that's totally true. I think it's what makes it so special. It really is the platonic ideal of something like that. Um, and Black Panther is so interesting to me because it is the closest the MCU has come to hitting that full, like, kind of a tourist vision that has something to say in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Thor Ragnarok has some of that, too, but Black Panther is more pointed in it. You know, I actually do, um, I've done it a couple times now, a, a guest lecture at the University of Colorado for uh, uh, one of my old professors. She has a class on uh, masculinity in Hollywood over the years, and she has this week on Black Panther. Um, and I kind of stepped in and, and, and helped her with a, a guest lecture on that. And I've now done it a couple of times. And when I did all my research for it and put this together, I'm really proud of that lecture. And it all just kind of comes from the movie. It is such a smart film. And I think what it has to say about race in America and, and black identity and sort of the divided identity of, you know, the term African-American. But most African-Americans have never been to Africa, have no sense of like because it has been stolen from them, what that mm-hmm. history was. Um, and that it is such an interesting movie in that the filmmaker is sort of aligned with the villain of the piece and the hero comes from a fictional utopia. Um, but it does feel so personal. You know, I, what I do in this lecture is I also hold it up next to Ryan Coogler's other movies, Creed and Fruitvale Station. And it really is of a piece with those. It really, you very clearly see the same themes about black masculinity and fatherhood and and identity being actualized in different ways across them. And Black Panther does it on a bigger sort of pop canvas, but it does it really beautifully. And that's not to say it's perfect or that every aspect of black identity is seen in it. It's certainly been very debated as a movie, um, and I don't claim to know any answers there. I just know that it is, you know, I think a movie that is incredibly thoughtful it works as a beautifully, you know, um, propulsive and fun piece of pop storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why it was such a big hit. 
But it also is just uncommonly thoughtful for the modern sort of, you know, popcorn superhero movie and for any kind of like big Hollywood tentpole. And then, of course, you have Chadwick Boseman um, giving one of the best performances in this genre, this side of Christopher Reeve, you know, just perfect. The whole cast is amazing. What it does playing with the idea of tokenism with Martin Freeman is one of the funniest fucking things in any superhero movie. It's it's great. It's to me the best MCU movie uh, I love it to death, and I'm, you know, I'm very curious what they're going to do with the next one, uh, since they have not recast Chadwick Boseman, and that movie's production uh, was seemingly very troubled. So I'm, I'm curious what the sequel will be like. But for now, they made a, a near perfect Black Panther movie, and that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's definitely one of those characters that you just never thought that we would get to the point where they could be adapted into live action. Certainly not to this level. Um, and it's like. It's crazy to feel like, you know, that we live in a world where it's like, oh, my God, they actually they they did it like they nailed Black Panther. They brought him into the MCU. And like in many ways, like, I mean, it's such a you know, I'm not an expert on that character from the comics. I've read a little bit, um, but like it feels like it's just the perfect version of that character that meshes all the best interpretations that I've kind of seen over the years and bring it all together into this like kind of wholesome interpretation. Uh, It's just like a really powerful adaptation of that character as well. Yeah. So, Sean, we got four movies left. Let me knock out the easy one right away. Batman Returns. It's it's amazing. Danny DeVito is the Penguin. Just one of the most remarkable things that's ever happened. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, one of the best performances in any comic book movie. You got fucking Christopher Walken as Max Shrek. And in the background, Michael Keaton being bemused by all of this in a really great Batman performance. It is up there with Logan as like one of the most I can't fucking believe this movie exists comic book movies I adore it it's insane we did a full breakdown on episode 358 in December 2020 and I would highly recommend it because you know what it's also one of the best Christmas movies if I were doing a Christmas list it would be on the top 10 because nothing and I mean nothing says Christmas like my French flipper trick (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ yeah, fucking movie. Uh, yeah, like Batman Returns is is like on my honorable mentions. You know, it's like um, it's 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 close to being on there for my list, but didn't quite make the cut. Yeah. Um, let me talk about my number eight, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Um, you know, this is probably the most unconventional movie on this list. But I've got a couple of justifications here. One, if the Guardians of the Galaxy can be superheroes, then the Guardian of the Universe is a superhero. Yeah, that's um, way more than just the galaxy. Fuck, with one yes. galaxy? Gamera is guarding the entire universe, guys. Yes, and to make it clear, this is the 1995 Gamera movie. It's the first of the trilogy of Heisei-era Gamera movies we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. We're like, I've brought up multiple times as like some of the best kaiju movies. Um, and then also, like, I rewatched this movie thinking, like, trying to look at it through that lens. And it's honestly shocking how easy it would be to rewrite that movie as basically like an Aquaman style character because basically the backstory is that Gamera is from an Atlantis or like Atlantis-esque ancient civilization that was destroyed and sunk into the ocean in the in the ancient past and the monster that's a gauss that Gamera fights are other monsters that have been awakened by modern technology and pollution that were the things that destroyed this ancient civilization and this little and they start attacking humanity and this little girl wakes up and awakens Gamera and her like sort of psychic link with Gamera is what she uses to fight them 
um, and it's his relationship with this girl and like trying trying to defend humanity and the planet in general. And it's like if there is a kaiju that is a superhero, um, it's Gamera. Like he he is you know it's not like some of the later Godzilla movies where he's sort of heroic and they kind of edge him on the hero side. Um, but but Godzilla's never even in the most enthusiastically heroic portrayances of Godzilla, he's never truly fully like just a defender of humanity it's never that straightforward whereas Gamera it's like he is there to save us from the monsters sometimes monsters of our own creation um and he's here to defend us and the planet we live on um and he is a superhero uh if 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 Ultraman can be a superhero then Gamera has to be able to be a superhero because it because it's basically just like a turtle version of Ultraman and you know (laughs) if you if you don't count Gamera, that means you're like a racist. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. If you're saying that Ultraman could be a superhero, Gamera can't. You're just a turtle racist. Sean, I'm imagining like a Gamera box set, and on the front it says, basically a turtle version of Ultraman. Sean Chapman, the Weekly Stuff podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's a big turtle that fights for humanity that like a human has a psychic link with that like helps him fight. Like that's just what Ultraman is. Um, Yeah, and then just like, so that's kind of justifying like it being able to be on this list. Um, and then it's just a fucking kick-ass movie. I mean, it's an amazing kaiju movie. Um, honestly, like, I maybe, if it was a more able to just be like, yeah, this is a straight-up superhero movie, and it was easier to just sort of fully get behind it that way, I might even may put it above Thor Ragnarok. Um, I like this movie a lot. Um, but I kind of hedged it a little bit lower because it's a, it's an unconventional choice. Um, and it felt a little bit unfair. Um... To, to go that hard on it. But yeah, Gamera's Guardian of the Universe is one of the best kaiju movies that's been made. Um, it, the storytelling, the effects work, um, like the broad sort of kaiju-esque canvas it works on and the theme, like the thematic work that they do as is common with kaiju stuff of like pollution and global warming and like the things that human civilization is doing to the planet, creating the monsters that bring about its destruction and having to find solace in this sort of like totem of nature which is kind of what Gamera is represented as from Earth's ancient past that is now fighting with us and us having to learn that lesson uh, it is it is just like one of the most solid movies in that genre you could possibly find and it's one of my favorite genres of movies and it intersects in like a narrative sense with superhero stuff pretty directly so for me Gamera Guardian of the Universe is my number 8 superhero movie I think that's awesome I love it uh, I love your other choice as well, um, Mask of Zorro. I have – so that's the 97 one with Antonio yes. Banderas, right? Uh-huh. Yes. And I will just – let me defend it for you. One, Batman became Batman because his parents yes. took him to a movie theater showing Zorro and then they died afterwards. So Zorro is clearly a superhero movie. Okay? That's fine. Mask of Zorro, though, it's been a while since I've seen it, Sean. I definitely want to revisit it. I think they recently did a 4K disc, so maybe I'll pick that up. But um, I remember thinking that movie kicks unholy amounts of ass. Yeah, so this is a movie I rewatched in the build-up to this podcast. Because it was one that I had like totally forgotten this movie existed. Because I feel like people don't ever bring it up anymore. Even though it is totally a superhero movie. Like, Zorro's a prototypical superhero. Like, we talked about the origins of Zorro um, in this relationship to Batman at the beginning of that the Batman podcast. Um, because it's very closely tied into the where superheroes come from. Um, so Zorro is like, there's no doubt it's a superhero movie, but it's one that because like they took a long time to make the sequel and the sequel wasn't very good. I feel like it just kind of like, it's a movie time is sort of forgotten, but I rewatched it remembering that I liked it a lot as a kid. And then I, when I was typing online, like what are some like unconventional superhero movie choices that one might not think of? So I can kind of try to broaden the expand, like the boundaries of my list. And that movie came up and like, oh, my God, I love this movie as a kid so much. 
and then I rewatched it. That movie kicks so much ass. It is so fucking fun. This is like peak Antonio Banderas. This is peak Catherine Zeta-Jones. This is basically the movie that launched Catherine Zeta-Jones's um, career. It's like top to bottom. The movie is just an absolute like showpiece for incredible stunt work and and action set pieces and like great character writing and character performances. Um, this is also. Um, I think people might not remember this. Anthony Hopkins is in this movie playing the original Zorro. The plot of the movie is that the original Zorro from the old stories, Don Diego um, de la Vera, de la Vega, Don Diego de la Vega. Um, that's the original Zorro character. He is played by Anthony Hopkins. And th- clearly Batman Beyond was very heavily influenced by this movie. Batman Beyond came out a little bit after this movie came out. And the setup is basically Batman Beyond. So you have in the past, Zorro was doing his Zorro thing. He kind of inspires the young version of the Antonio Banderas character. But Zorro is defeated and he stops being Zorro for many years. Um, and then eventually the main villain kind of comes back to California. This is like pre-state California, which is where all the Zorro stories are set um, and starts doing evil stuff again. Uh, and the Antonio Banderas character, now all grown up as Antonio Banderas, basically re-encounters Anthony Hopkins' Zorro character. And he is trained as the successor to Zorro by an old Zorro. And that relationship is basically exactly the Bruce Wayne-Terry McGinnis relationship from Batman Beyond. Uh, Anthony Hopkins absolutely nails it. I think it's a very canny casting um, that kind of brings in the old school Douglas Fairbanks version of Zorro from the old, like, actual swashbucklers from, like, that period of, like, the 1940s of Hollywood. Um, And this is kind of like a neo-swashbuckler movie from the 90s when that was, like, kind of a thing we did for a little bit. Um, And just top to bottom, the movie is so much fun. The stunt work is incredible. There are some stunts they do on horses that I just don't know how they did it. And this is, and it's all practical. There's very little any kind of CGI. There's like some green screen work in some play, in some shots that you can tell. Um, but generally speaking, this is just like a full practical movie. Even even for like the '90s to a degree, that is uh, very remarkable. Um, and because it's such a throwback to old school swashbuckler movies, um, it's got a real Princess Bride kind of vibe to it. Um, it has this totally timeless quality to it. Like if you watch it now, other than the opening and ending credit sequences that are very kind of dated nineties feeling the content of the movie itself, it, it's totally timeless. Like it feels like it could have been made whenever, um, because it's, it's just good old fashioned, strong character work, really strong action based on cool, interesting stunts and complex choreography. There's a big, like, standout Zorro fight scene at the end of the second act that is just an incredible showpiece for, like, Antonio Banderas as a stunt performer who does a lot of his stunts in the movie. Um, it's just top to bottom. If people have not watched this movie in a long time like I hadn't, you got to check out The Mask of Zorro again because it is so fucking good. And it's such a fresh of breath air in the modern era of superhero movies that I think... Is fun because it kind of reflects in many ways the origin of the character they're adapting, Zorro, who is like the core fundamentals of a superhero before that genre was codified is where Zorro comes from. And so this movie feeling like it as a movie is reflecting this genre style that is the thing from which superhero styled movies come from. Also, uh, there's a lot of like um, synchronization or like a sympathy there with the origins of the character that I think like go throughout the whole movie that really make it a powerful experience. Yeah, it's awesome. Also, I just want to give a shout out. This movie has one of my favorite movie posters ever. It is just mm-hmm. a silhouette of Banderas' Zorro. B- big silhouette with like the cape billowing against a red background and then a big flaming Z. 
It's fucking great. I well, love that The opening of the movie, the first thing that happens in the movie, and I had forgotten this, and then as soon as it starts, I'm like, oh my god, this is the best movie opening ever, is it's the black stage, and fog lights come, fog lights come up on this black stage, and Zaro comes walking into the middle in full costume, and he goes, ship, 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 and like writes his Z on the screen, and it comes out in fire, uh, and like when he walks out, there's like a jingle jangle of like um, his boots and all this stuff. It is the most incredible movie opening, and they do the same thing when they end the movie, and it's the most like these people fucking got it. It's one of the things that makes the movie feel very timeless. Um, yeah, The Mask of Zorro is fucking great. People need to go back and watch that one. It is a shame that I feel like that movie has kind of been lost a bit in the pop, like public discourse about superhero movies because it is one of the best. Yeah. Uh, another one that I love, uh, my last one, this is my number 10, is Dread from 2012. Have you ever seen this one, Sean? No, I've never gotten around to it. It's a movie that I keep on meaning to watch and just for whatever reason, yeah. I just haven't quite done it. So this one was written by Alex Garland, who obviously went on to do Ex Machina and Annihilation and movies like that. Uh, and it was also basically directed by him. The movie is credited to a director named Pete Travis, but like since the, the it's come out since that Alex Garland basically directed this. Like Carl Urban, who plays Dread, has said like this should be considered Alex Garland's directorial debut. Um, and so I'll treat him as the author of this movie. But it is a fascinating film. Judge Dread. And, you know, the entire, like, 2080 comic it comes from is a, is a big, complicated, like, web of things. But this movie does something very, very simple. It is a, like, down-and-dirty 90-minute movie that is, and genuinely, like, it's a tight 90 minutes of Carl Urban as Judge Dredd. The main plot is Dredd is out on patrol for the day. And, of course, if you don't know the, the general premise of the 2080 stuff and Judge Dredd is that it's this horrible post-apocalypse where, like, very little land is left. It's this it's Mega City One, and the 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 justice system has been reworked into individual judges who are judge, jury, and executioner. And Dread is like the most powerful of these guys. Uh, and so Dread is out on patrol. He gets a new uh, apprentice who is played by uh, Olivia Thurlby, who is like a, a, tr a judge in training who has some psychic powers. They answer a call at this big tower. It's one of the biggest, like it's like a slum tower where a bunch of people live. And there is a drug lord named Mama, played by Lena Headey. Uh, this is pre-Game of Thrones. She's always been great. Um, who is pushing a new drug called Slow Mo. And basically they get locked in the building. And this was completely coincidental. These two movies came out at the same time. But it is basically the plot of the raid where they have to get to the top of the tower and kill Mama. And that is the movie. And it's like very direct. It is dirty and it is ugly and it is genuinely kind of sleazy. It's R-rated in a way your modern sort of R superhero films aren't. Like it's a hard, dirty R. It is rough around the edges in ways that I think really serve the material. It feels like it's held together with spit and duct tape. There's very little polish on the visuals. It's kind of rough. But I think when you have a, a character like this and then you also have a visual styling that is like there's a lot of adventurous stuff in it. Like the slow-mo drug is so crazy how they depict it of basically like it's a drug you take and the world turns slow-mo. And the way they do that with like this sort of like high speed photography, uh, like if you know the YouTube channel, the slow-mo guys, Gavin mm -hmm. Free and that, they worked on this yeah. for some of this material. And it's really interesting stuff because it's this like hyper violence and dystopian cyberpunk visuals. It's cross cutting between just all these different sort of kinds of weird. It is an aggressively weird movie in places. Um, 
But it's so interesting to watch compared to, like, where superhero movies have gone since this came out ten years ago. Like, if this were made today, if they some studio decided they're going to do a Dread thing, I think it would be probably a ten-episode streaming series that uh-huh. would inexplicably be telling one long story over ten episodes instead of being episodic like it should be, and it would be completely interminable and no one would like it. Instead, it's one 90-minute movie. It's kind of perfect, mainly because Carl Urban, one of my favorite actors, I feel like perpetually underrated. He's amazing in everything. And what a perfect piece of comic book casting. Oh my god. He it's it's one, they just know how to deploy this character iconographically, including they have a incredible commitment to never taking him out of the mask. This is a performance Carl Urban gives without you ever seeing his eyes. It's completely his jaw and shin, and it looks amazing in that helmet. The use of his voice is incredible. They they do so much cool stuff with the iconography of the character, like scenes where you have fire reflected in his visor, or you know when he does the, the sort of classic Judge Dredd lines. Um, but all the performances are great, but really just uh, Carl Urban in particularly. There's a moment where he gets on the PA, and he gives the big, like, you know, I'm coming for you mama and i'm gonna kill you speech um that is like just spine chilling uh sends just shivers down your spine carl urban man i i he's always the best part of anything he's in and i Mm -hmm. wish he was in more stuff um i wish we got more stuff like this dread movie i would love another you know 90 minute tight movie in this universe because it is so it really does feel like an exploitation movie in the best way like it is dirty and like and and just sleazy but in a way that i think works for this material in a fascinating way and again is such an interesting counterbalance to like the squeaky clean sort of disney superhero movies we get now yeah it's just like a very like seemingly authentic adaptation of the comics that it comes from which are that thing you know they're like a very underground british comic line yes like it's got that like sleazy kind of thing um yeah and i know some judge most dread fans really love this i know some have said they wish there was more of sort of the satire in the comic books a la robocop mm-hmm. i do think there is some of that in this it's just the movie plays it 100 percent straight and that's why i think some of it is funny but it is not it's not overtly satirical in the way some of the dread stuff is it's alex garland sounds like he had plans if they got to do a sequel to do more stories directly from the comics that would bring some of that in um but this movie bombed horribly and they never got there, but you can watch it on home video and it's great. Yeah. Or you could watch the Sylvester Stallone judge dread movie. If you want to, you know, if you, if you watch dread and you like that, I'm sure that's just as good. I am the law. Yeah. Did I do it right? Anyway, uh, those are our top 10. Should we recap really quickly before we move on? Yeah. Let's, let's go back through, uh, our top 10 superhero movies. My number 10 is dread. My number 10 is The Mask of Zorro. My number 9 is Batman Returns. My number 9 is The Batman. My number 8 is Black Panther. My number 8 is Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. My number 7 is The Batman. My number 7 is Thor Ragnarok. My number 6 is Logan. And my number 6 is also Logan. My number 5 is Zack Snyder's Justice League. My number 5 is Superman the Movie. My number four is Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. My number four is Robocop. My number three is Superman, the movie. My number three is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My number two is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. My number two is Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. And both of our number ones are Jonathan. Batman and Robin. Spider-Man 2. What? What? 